Hey all, and welcome back to another episode of Greater Greener Georgia. I'm Miles. And I'm Alexis. We had a great time covering the municipal elections a few weeks ago, and now we're back to our regular bi-weekly format. Yes, and there's a ton of news for us to cover, so we can jump right in with a couple updates. Yes. Last week, the climate conference in Glasgow highlighted a major issue with the harm climate change inflicts on women and families in the world's most vulnerable countries. Women who often hold lead roles in providing food and health care for their families are on the front lines of climate change, and their communities are feeling climate change most directly, especially communities closer to sea level. Projects that are intended to help these women are falling short because corporations that are claiming to offset their own climate pollution with green projects in poor nations are not delivering the promised results. So we're starting to hear more and more about these stories from around the world. And climate change, as we know, is really not a future problem. People's lives are being directly impacted right now. And that's why conferences like the one happening in Glasgow are more important than ever. And we really need to make a serious change in order to slow or hopefully put a stop to climate change. Totally. And these issues are are intensifying, like you're saying. So holding these corporations accountable is going to play a major role in our future and, you know, our uh, generations to come. Yeah, generations definitely. to come future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our future and our children's future. Of course. Another interesting story coming directly out of Georgia this week is a bill proposed by Republican Senator Randy Robertson, which has to do with protesting specifically about all like a lot of the Black Lives Matter and police brutality protests that were happening mm-hmm. in Atlanta um, over the, the past year. Under the proposed law, protesters who break the law would face increased penalties. Participating in a protest with seven or more people and committing violence against a person or property or blocking a highway during a protest could both land Georgians with a felony charge and a fine between $1,000 and $5,000 or up to five years imprisonment. Defiling a publicly owned monument, cemetery, or structure comes with an even steeper punishment, a fine of up to $15,000 or 15 years behind bars. It would also require cities and counties to establish a process for granting permits for all protests on public property, regardless of size. As the senators discussed this measure, deliberations were underway in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot three men, killing two of them during a protest in Wisconsin. Rittenhouse argued that he fired in self-defense. And this is one of those things that's like, you know, you you hear about it really quickly and you're like, okay, maybe that kind of sounds reasonable. But basically just putting these laws in a place that directly uh, quell free speech and kind of like... Like the freedom to protest. These laws... Whenever I see laws like this, like a red flag immediately goes off in my brain. Like, I agree with you at first glance. It's like, oh, yeah, people probably shouldn't be defiling statues and monuments. But when it's used in practice, from what I have learned, it's almost always used um, against the public interest. And it's used in ways to, like, preserve racist and classist things that, like, populations don't want to be seeing anymore. Um, And not only statues, but protests, too. You know, they'll. Uh, use it against non-white protesters who are protesting for their own rights and things like that. And of, of course, yeah. And another interesting kind of note that I didn't put down in in the in our notes here, but um, there was a whole defense for people that are trying to escape protests, and they were citing like 
um, you know, it could just be a, a free pass to drive through a protest and run people over because you're quote unquote escaping this, this violent act. Mm. And, um, yeah. it's just, there's just so many uh, red flags, like you're saying, popping up. Yeah. Whenever I see bill. laws that like somehow allow the people to act as the state and like make arrests or, you know, we were seeing that with the Texas abortion ban too, like allowing people to turn in women who were suspected of getting abortions. Like it just, I, I'm never a fan of that. It always seems to act against us. Well, so, and now moving into one of our main topics of the day, redistricting, which is something that we have mentioned here a few times before. And you've probably been hearing about a lot in the news recently because it's currently going on all over the country. As a quick refresher, basically redistricting happens every 10 years after the census. And it's when the boundaries to redraw state and federal legislature districts are redrawn in order to more accurately represent changing and growing populations. Georgia's population actually increased by a million people over the last decade, and a majority of that growth was seen in minority and non-white populations. However, the new maps that have been drawn over the past week or two and are about to be signed by Governor Kemp do not really represent these changes accurately, which if you know anything about our state's government is really not that surprising. But it's, yeah, it's, it's always disappointing, though. You know, you always hope for the best. And here we are again being disappointed. But so let's get into some of the details first on the state level. So the Georgia General Assembly finalized new state legislative maps this week, and the district boundaries were basically drawn to ensure that Republicans maintain control at the Capitol, even though we saw last year that Democrats clearly gained ground in the last election cycle here in Georgia. And not to say that Democrats have a huge majority, but, you know, we went blue for Joe Biden and we elected Ossoff and Warnock. So it's clearly at least much closer to a 50-50 divide than these maps are representing. Georgia's new maps give Republicans an obvious advantage, according to an evaluation done by the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, which is a pretty well-renowned source that evaluates states' maps all over the country for bias and like political influence, basically. And so what they're saying is that in a politically neutral map-making process, Georgia's 56-member Senate should have about 27 Democrat seats instead of the just 23 that are on the map that was approved on Monday, according to this Princeton analysis. And most notably for the state Senate, this map that was approved on Monday, it reshapes a district held by Democratic State Senator Michelle Au and makes it lean much more distinctly Republican. And Senator Au is the first ever Asian American um, state senator in Georgia. And this was pretty historic. And we were all really excited when she got elected last year. But now with her redrawn district, it's looking pretty likely that she'll lose her seat um, in the 2022 election, which is really unfortunate. Other legislators are also going to be forced out of office because they were drawn into the same district as other representatives. So only one person will be able to win re-election unless someone moves into a dis- different district, which you know, it's easier said than done. Just pick up and move uh, your house in order to run for an election. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out next year. And overall, we're going to be seeing a lot of changes on the state level. And to be honest, they're not very representative of Georgia's newly counted population. And if you want to hear more about that Georgia census data that was uh, tallied last year, you can go back and check out episode five of our podcast where we go into a lot more detail about that. And next on the federal level, the two biggest impacts are going on to Congresswoman McBath and Congresswoman Bordeaux. So Congresswoman Lucy McBath, who was reelected last year with 55% of the vote, is now going to be running for re-election in a district that leans really distinctly Republican due to the new map 
that is expected to be approved in the coming week. And additionally, Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux's district on the opposite side is going to become much more solidly blue. It was initially a swing district. It's going to become more liberal under the redistricting proposal, meaning she could be facing primary challenges from much more liberal candidates, which will be interesting. A prominent quote that's going around is coming from Cindy Battles, who's the policy and engagement director at the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. And she said that by putting this huge block of non-white voters into Bordeaux's seventh district, the Republican map drawers really compacted the voting power of people of color all into one district, which is really not representative of Georgia's population. And one other minor change is that um, in Northwest Georgia, the district held by Marjorie Taylor Greene is now going to extend into parts of Cobb County and Metro Atlanta, uh, including in Austell and Powder Springs. This district is still going to remain pretty solidly Republican, but uh, it's just interesting to see that she's now going to be closer, representing people closer to Metro Atlanta. And so in summary, because Republicans control both the Georgia House and the Georgia Senate, they have enough votes to pass basically whatever maps they want over any Democratic objections that represent that representation should be more reflective of the state's even split between the two political parties. Lawsuits asking the courts to invalidate these maps are expected to be coming soon, and only time will tell if these will be our new maps for the next decade. So conniving and sneaky, like, yeah. <laughs> And, and honestly, what's the most upsetting part of it to me is not just that it's happening in Georgia, but it's happening in like every single state around the country. I'm following some like Twitter accounts that talk about redistricting and every day they're posting like this state just passed their, you know, majority Republican maps, even though the state actually went majority Democrat in 2020. It's happening all over the country. It's not just Georgia. So we're having like majority Democrat federal representation with majority Republican local representation. Mm. It's pretty wild to see yeah, it all go down. And, and even the, the, the piece about putting a lot of the, the folks of color into one district kind of gave me chills almost because you're thinking mm -hmm. that's it sounds very similar to, you know, redlining folks in like housing and, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're putting them all into one area where right. they can kind of don't have a voice at all in the major election of the the, the city. Exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah very interesting. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. Hope maybe by the time this podcast is out, there will be changes and maybe this information won't be accurate anymore. But the way things are going, it's looking like these are going to be our new maps for the next decade. Cool. Well, let's go into the next major story is talking about this infrastructure bill that was just passed um, and just signed in by President Biden. Throughout our podcast episodes, we have covered this bill through its evolution, how it's grown, it's shrunk, and it's changed over time. Back in episode seven, where we talked with our own Allie Brown, um, who's our number one fan of our podcast, about this bill and all the ins and outs. So make sure to go back and listen to that as well. But now we're finally here, and this major part of the bill has been signed by President Biden, which is a great bipartisan success. Back on Monday, Biden signed into law his $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill during a ceremony at the White House, which was packed with 800 supporters. The photos looked like it was outside, so <laughs> I guess everyone was <laughs> vaccinated, but kind of, you know, another, another story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Biden said that this bill is a truly consequential spending bill 
that will improve Americans' day-to-day lives. But Democrats also strongly emphasize that this is not the end, with another $1.85 trillion social spending measure that still faces a close final vote in the U.S. House and major changes in the evenly divided Senate, where passage will have to come without GOP support. Biden said the infrastructure legislation, backed by nearly all congressional Democrats, as well as 19 Senate Republicans and 13 House Republicans, is a signal that polarized public officials in Washington can come together to create jobs and solve long lingering problems. So what is even in this bill? This bill includes a $110 billion to repair and rebuild roads and bridges. $90 billion for public transit, and $66 billion for passenger rail improvements. Airports and ports will also see an infusion of federal funding, as will the country's electric grid. A local point to highlight is more than $619 million is set aside for repairs and upgrades at Georgia's airports. Another awesome point that I'm excited about personally is the billions of dollars set aside for building out our electric vehicle charging infrastructure, which includes charging stations and also the purchase of buses and ferries that run on electricity. About $135 million is allotted to build an electric vehicle charging network across Georgia. And there are also other grant opportunities to help boost the state's charging infrastructure as more auto manufacturers roll out electric models. This is a huge step because I know personally that I would have an electric vehicle. I'd be more likely to have an electric vehicle if there's more places to charge it besides just at my house. And I think a lot of other, you know, folks think that same way, you know, always when I'm like, Oh, get an electric vehicle. They're like, where am I supposed to charge it? Um, So I think that infrastructure is really important to get more electric vehicles on the road. And I think that'll also push manufacturers to, to create more if they know that the demand is there. Yeah, definitely. That would be a really cool solution to start to see those charging ports like around Atlanta and around the state. Definitely. And especially the superchargers, because, mm-hmm. you know, they'll charge very super yeah. faster. <laughs> much faster. Yeah. <laughs> Another $65 billion will go towards expanding access to broadband internet across the country, with at least $100 million of that going towards providing broadband coverage across Georgia. We saw that internet and high-speed internet access in particular was a huge topic during the height of the pandemic when students need to study from home and a huge portion of low-income and people of color, especially children in our state and around the country, struggled to find access to internet. To kind of round it all out, a note from our Vice President Kamala Harris stating that This legislation, as significant as it is, as historic as it is, is part one of two. Congress must also pass the Build Back Better Act. Yeah, while we're recording this, I'm actually hearing that hopefully it's going to be voted on today or tomorrow. So by the time you're listening to this, maybe the Build Back Better Act will be signed into law. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. I was was just going to mention, yeah, we're probably going to be posting some about that on social. So check it out. Yeah, definitely. So with that, this is a huge accomplishment and a great achievement for this administration. But of course, as always, we'll need to follow along closely to make sure that these items are actually being put in place by holding our elected officials accountable. Like, you know, what we're saying, these these (laughs) extremely high dollar value amounts sound great, but are they going to be actually put into place? And are these infrastructure is actually going to be followed through with. Um, So we got to, you know, follow that closely. 
Yeah, definitely. And we're for sure going to be continuing to cover this topic more and following along with the Build Back Better Act. So make sure you follow us on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest information on what's going on. Yeah. And with that, I hope you all have a great weekend. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Greater Greener Georgia. Have a great green day. It's a green day. I like day. that. <laughs> <laughs> Tony the Tiger. Yeah. <laughs>